your Bibles, if you've opened them up to Psalm 119, if you need to have the message outline, it's right out those center doors at the ministry counter. Please pick one of those up. Um, when we see a loved one sick or a loved one struggling, struggling at their jobs, struggling in their relationships, we do whatever we can to help, right? We want to help them to bring about stability. We want to help them to bring about peace, uh, tell right, whatever right, uh, maybe other wrongs that they've done or anything like that. That's really what we want out of life, isn't it? We want stability. We want stability in our life. We want stability in our jobs. We want stability in our relationships. We want stability in our health. We want stability in our future. Why? Because when things are stable, we're able to enjoy and get more out of life, aren't we? When things are stable in our life, it seems like we have that peace. Like when your job is going great, it's wonderful, and you have no re in your relationship, you have no tension. There's no fighting. There's no drama. It, it's wonderful, right? It, when your plans, when you know what college you're going to go to, you have that all set. When you know you, what job you're going to take, when you know uh, who you're going to marry, and when you're going to retire, if you're able to retire, when all that is set, when all that is stable in your life, when all that is in place. There's a peace that comes in our lives, right? We're able to enjoy, get more enjoyment out of life because of that, because we have stability. We love stability. And yet, whether currently or maybe sometimes in the past, we've all experienced instability, haven't we? It hasn't always been stable in our lives, if it is now. Many times it seems like we have more instability than we have stability. And because of that, it creates hurt in our life. Because of that, we've experienced fear, doubt, anger, and frustration in our life. So where do we go when things are unstable? What, what do we do uh, when, we're, when things are falling apart, when our health fails us, when our marriage seems to be in trouble, when there are kind of uh, threats of violence against our schools? What do we do? Where do we turn to? Where do we go when our problems seem to overcome us? Instability is a reality of life, isn't it? But it's a reality that the Bible addresses as well as what we see. We've been in the midst of a series called God's Book. We're going through Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is, a lar is a, the largest uh, chapter in all the Bible, the longest. And what we see time and time again is throughout this psalm, as we see the psalmist reminding us is what we need to take our hearts back to the direction of God in His Word. That we need to take, i say that again, our hearts back to the direction of God in His Word, what He's saying. What the psalmist is not saying, he's not telling us God's people to worship God's word. He's not saying, he says, no, he's telling us to worship God by embracing his word. That's what he says. So that's what we want to do this morning. We want to worship God by embracing his word this morning. And we want to look at Psalm 119, verses 89 through 96. So if you can find that. And we're going to start off reading in verses 89 through 92. In verse 89, there's a memory verse, right? So don't forget to memorize this verse. Verse 89. It says, your word, O Lord, Yahweh Jehovah, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth, and it endures. Your laws endure to this day. For all things serve you. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. The psalmist can, uh, starts off, begins by establishing a contrast between a stable God and the psalmist who's in an unstable turbulent life we'll find out and so you look at verse 89 he says your word O lord is eternal it stands firm in the heavens he's looking up from his lowly place on this chaotic earth in this chaotic world and he says the psalmist can rejoice because of the word of god stands firm in the heavens 
And he's looking at that, which means nothing can topple it. Nothing can twist God's word. Nothing can compromise, manipulate it. Nothing can change it. For it is set apart. It's fixed in the heavens is what he says. And I can depend on it. It's fixed. He goes on in verse 9. He says, your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. About every verse of this section, you find that the psalmist used a synonym to describe God's word. Here, in particular verse, the synonym is faithfulness. So he said, your faithfulness continues through all generations. It could be said, your word continues through all generations. He, he says, he asks, how can you put your faith and your trust in God's word? He answers it because it continues through all generations, what he's saying. It continues on and nothing can stop it. He's saying it's eternal. God's word endures. It's fixed. It will not change is what he's saying. He goes on and says, you establish the earth and it endures. As a resemblance to Genesis chapter 1-1, remember what it says? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did God create them? By his powerful word. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let dry land appear, and dry land appeared. And by his word, he established the earth, and it, in, it endures, is what the Bible says. His word endures, and this earth will endure until God chooses not to have it endure, Right? It endures by the hand of God. The word endures by the hand of God, and it always will. And the earth will endure until God chooses it not to endure any longer. Verse 91, your laws endure to this day, for all things serve you. Again, there's a synonym used there. The word law, he uses law. Your laws endure to this day could be your word endures to this day. For all things, he says, serve you, God. He's saying all things are coming under you, God, under your control. You created all things. All things are yours. He's setting this all up. All things are yours. He's fixing his eyes up on God. We see this beautifully displayed throughout Scripture in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. He says this, You alone are the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, Jehovah, Yahweh. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, in all their starry hosts, the earth, and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. We see it again in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, where the apostle John writes, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they, they were created and have their being. But we just don't see it in the stars and the heaven and nature. We see it in humanity itself. For all humanity belongs to God. The Apostle Paul reminds us that in Romans chapter 14, verse 11, he says this. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue confess to God. The proper perspective of God and his eternal word causes the psalmist to reflect honestly on his own life. He's looking at his own life now. God, I see who you are in your greatness, magnificence, all those kind of things. And now he comes to his own life and he says in verse 92, if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I don't know if many of you feel like that. He says, I would have perished. I would have passed. It would have overcome me. My difficulties would have overcome me. They would have overcome. And we see here again, a synonym is used here to refer to God's word. Again, it uses the word law, but it's a different this time. This time it starts off with the word if. It's a conditional clause that he uses. That's what if statements do. They make a condition. It's like maybe you've said this to yourself or said it to your children. You've heard it been said that if you clean your room, then you can go out, right? If you finish that project, 
then you can leave work early. You've heard those kind of statements to be said. And we all put our hopes in all kinds of different things. But those I just mentioned, those statements make a lot of sense to us. Those are if statements that you and I can get behind, right? If you clean your room, you can go out. Hey, that sounds like a logical thing. Makes sense. If you finish that project early before I think you can, you can leave early. Makes a lot of sense. We get behind those if statements. But what the psalmist is saying may not resonate with us. When we look at this, if your law had not been my delight, or some translations, if your rule, or if your command had not been my delight, I would have perished my affliction. For a lot of us, the, the synonym law is not our favorite, or rules, or whatever it is. Laws or rules just usually don't make the top 10 or 15 things where we find enjoyment in, are they? When I think of a law, is this law really, do I really get a lot of uh, joy out of that? I remember as a kid, we'd be playing a game, and we'd play freeze tag. And during freeze tag, before you started the game, what did you do? Say, okay, here's the boundaries. Here's where you can go and where you can't go. And yeah, you can't have, we would decide you can't re-tag someone after freeze tag. So you have to give like five or ten seconds. Remember that? Can't re-tag somebody real back. Five or ten seconds. And we wouldn't even determine how long the game was going to last. You see, even what we did as kids, we made rules. We made rules for games. We may argue over the boundaries where they were, but we all knew there had to be boundaries. We all knew there had to be rules to the game. Why? Because rules allow for greater joy, allow for greater enjoyment. This idea isn't strange to us. We find delight or enjoyment in rules in a lot of places we go. How many of you like sports? Today's the Super Bowl, and I'm going to mention a lot about sports today. Today's the Super Bowl today, and who's playing in the Super Bowl? Chiefs and and Eagles, right, Chiefs and Eagles, okay, but so you look at sports, there's a lot of rules in sports, right, in, in different sports, the rules of what kind of field you have to play on, what kind of equipment you have to wear, what kind of clothing to wear, you wouldn't wear your football jersey and your football equipment to a basketball game, right, or vice versa, you wouldn't wear what you wear in basketball to a football game, you wouldn't do that, right, so there's all kind of rules that we see in there, but they don't deter us, Matter of fact, we enjoy it, whether in the midst of the game, whether we're playing it or watching it, we enjoy it. We get very passionate about the game that we're watching with all these rules. There's all kinds of rules. They have referees. They have umpires in these, in these games and stuff like that. And we enjoy it so much. We enjoy it that we, have, we invite other people to come over to enjoy it with us, don't we? Like the Super Bowl and stuff. Because we enjoy it. We get very passionate about it. And we really like watching it. I understand there might be some times where we have these controversies, where we might disagree on some of the rules, but it doesn't mean we want to get rid of all the rules, right? None of us want to do that, because we might want to, but we're not going to. Why? Because it would make it chaos. Everything would go into chaos. Everything wouldn't make sense. It would take the enjoyment out of the game. It would be taken away. And the purpose of the game would be ruined if there's no, if there's no rules in, in the game, right? Just like if you're driving. Imagine if you're driving and there's no laws. There's no stop signs, there's no traffic lights, there's no speed limits, just get out there and drive whatever you want to. Just drive as fast and go through wherever you want. Remember how dangerous that would be? It would be chaotic out there. How many accidents would be out there with that? But the psalmist is just not talking about rules in a game, or he's not talking about boundaries, or he's not talking about, about binding speed limits. No, he's talking about the brokenness of, of this world is what he's saying. And he's looking at his life, the instability of his own life. And, and he's saying, my life has afflictions. And it would lead to perishing, and he says, disasters in my life. He says, and yet I have delight, because your word stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. That's what gives me delight. He goes, you are Lord. 
and you've established the heaven and the earth. That's what, he's, that's what he's saying in this verse. And it endures. And it stands by you and you alone, oh God. All because of you. All things in this universe are yours. Therefore, I have delight. I love your word. In your word, I will follow its laws faithfully. I will follow the word of God faithfully, despite my afflictions, because you are God, you are in control, and you are good, is what he's saying. And he comes down, he says, I have delight in an ever-changing world because there's an unchanging word. That makes all the difference in the world. Because we have an unchanging word of God in our lives and hearts. And the truth is real and relevant to this psalmist. You see it. Just as it's with us today, right? Why? Because we know that this book, the Bible's not like any other book. It's written by God. It's living, active word of God where the Bible says it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. The Bible says it's a shield for those who would take refuge in it. It's a lamp to your feet, a light to your path. And when you're all by yourself and you're in your darkest hour, you know that you're never alone because the Lord, your God, is always with you. Amen? He's always with us. We know that from what the Word of God tells us. We only know that by the Word of God, that it tells us God is always with us. And this everlasting uh, God, this Word of God is real and relevant in our lives, no matter what our culture says. I was reading an article. This article was written a few years ago by GQ magazine. And they said, here are the 21 books that you no longer have to read. And you kind of know where I'm going with this. The author makes the argument, there are indeed certain books that are great books that you have to read in order to be well-read, but a lot of books haven't aged real well, and they're kind of irrelevant now, so you no longer have to read them. And number 12 on that list was the Bible. And the author writes this. He says, the Holy Bible is rated very highly by all people who supposedly live by it, but whom in actuality have not read it. Those who have read it know there are some good parts, but overall, it is certainly not the finest thing that man has ever produced. Can you imagine somebody writing that? And I, and I was curious, how much research and time went into this before they even wrote the article? Because obviously, the author doesn't understand the Bible, right? And I doubt if they even read it, the way it looks like it. But I know many of you in this room have read the Bible. And you, were, you would say for yourself, there's more than just a few good parts in it. Wouldn't you say that's in the Bible? That you say it was a very relevant book, and you've read it. You try to live by it. We all try to live by it. But we're not perfect. We fail. And that's what many people look. Oh, they don't live by it. We try. None of, us, none of us are perfect. We fail. We confess it. But we try to live by it. And I know there's other people like Lee Strobel and Josh McDowell and C.S. Lewis who are skeptics. Skeptics about Christianity, about the Bible. And I know there are some that maybe some of you were like that at one time. You didn't really believe in, ah, is this really true and all that. You began to honestly seek out the answers. And as you drew closer to God, God gave you the answers with humility. And when you found out the answers, it, your lives were changed forevermore. They've never been the same again, right? Because you found out, as they found out, that this book isn't an ordinary book. It's not like all the other books. The book is the greatest book that ever been written. And it's been written by God. It's God moved, the Holy Spirit moved men along to give us the holy word of God is what we have here today. We read, this is God's book, not like any other book. But please listen to me. There's nothing wrong with asking questions, right? There's nothing wrong with asking questions. Asking questions about God, asking questions about the Bible, there's nothing wrong with that. If you have questions, seek the answers. Seek it till you find the answers to your questions. God will give them to you. Ask people, help, help you find the answers. Uh, Paul writes to young Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.16, he says this, 
But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. What the Apostle Paul was saying, he looked at himself as the chief of sinner who was shown mercy by God. He says, so that his unlimited patience of Christ might be powerfully displayed in his life so others might see God's mercy. That's how Paul looked at his life, that God had patient with me, was patient with me. God is not afraid of your questions. Whatever questions you might have, don't think that's a stupid question. There's no stupid questions. God is not afraid of them. He is patient, the Bible says. He's a merciful God and wants us to come with his questions. He relishes our questions. Come and ask him. Come and ask questions of the Bible, of who God and all this kind of thing. God wants us to ask those hard questions to get the answers. But let, let us in turn, as we ask those questions, be patient, honest, and humble as we ask them. Don't become an I know everything. Be humble as you ask them. And we receive the answers. We will find out from our, for ourselves that this book, the Bible, is the finest book that ever been written. There's no book like it. This is God's Word. As a Holy Spirit, move men along to give us this divine Word of God, right? Amen? This is God's book. It's not like any other book. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, this book is God-breathed. That God is the inspiration. God is the foundation. God is the author. Heaven and earth will pass away, but he says, my word will never pass away. It shall remain forever, forever. This word of God, when we get to heaven 10,000 years from now, this will be relevant. It's going to be relevant for us, okay? It will never go away. But isn't it interesting that the psalmist says that he delights, even though he's in affliction. That he says he has joy, although he's in the middle of difficulty. Think of that. He has affliction. He goes, I have delight. I'm in the midst of difficulty, and he says, I have joy. I think for a lot of us, for us to say that, uh, we would have to have any kind of joy, any kind of stability. We would say, I want all that pain, all that trouble, all those difficulties, all those things that I have, they got to be removed. they got to be taken away before I can experience peace and stability and joy in my life. But yet the psalmist delights, despite the difficulties, despite the afflictions. Why? Why does he delight? Why does he have joy? I think it's because stability does not mean prosperity, but it means perspective. He had the right perspective. He is able to delight because he's not looking at temporary things around him that surround him. We are able to delight because we're not looking for temporary things to get our perspective out of, to get our focus on. It's not found on a paycheck or perspective. It's not found on a job title. It's not found on your job, your grades, your family. It's not found in any of those things. It's not found in your friends or your health or any of those kind of things. It's found on the eternal word of God. Amen? It's found on that. It, it, that's where we get our perspective. It allows us to have a right perspective. It's not found in, in ever-changing things that we have in this world, but our perspective is found in God, and His eternal word is where it's found. And that's where we have to look. The truth does not diminish in the midst of affliction. Matter of fact, it's made louder, all the louder. It's not weak, and it's made stronger. And it actually shows us who God truly is. When we look at through our afflictions, we see God show up, and he shows up, and we see there's no trial that he cannot overcome. There's no burden that he cannot bear. And he's never failed. Think about that. God has never failed, and he's not going to start with your problem. He's handled bigger problems than yours, and he can handle your problem no problem. So he's not going to start with yours and, oh, God can't handle this. He can handle your problem. You have to believe that. The Apostle Paul writes in response to this, to help us understand, Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through verse 39. I don't have a 
you don't have time to read it all, but I'm going to read part of it, but read it for yourself. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39. I love this passage where the apostle Paul writes this. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Great question, right? If God is for us, who can be against us? He goes on in verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Verse 38. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers. And if that wasn't enough, he goes on. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What he's saying, nothing can separate us from God. Nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing can separate us from his salvation that is found in Jesus. And that's why we're able to delight despite our troubles and our afflictions because of that perspective that is brought when we come to know God through his son, Jesus Christ, the eternal word of God. That we have that perspective. We must keep that perspective. But it's not easy. It's not easy to delight all the time, is it? It's not easy to keep that perspective in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of trials and afflictions. And the beautiful thing is we have this word of God to help us keep that perspective. That's what this is. We have this to help us keep that perspective that God wants us to have. And, and so many times we says, man, I'm just struggling in life right now. And, and many times when you talk, not all the time, but many times when you talk to the person, they got away from the word of God. God, this world will beat us up. It will rip us apart. It will tear us down if we don't keep our eyes focused on God in this world. This helps us keep the right perspective in life. We keep listening to the world and the culture. It will lead us astray. But this keeps us right perspective. It's our compass. It's our guide that keeps us pointing north, right? Keeps us pointing toward God. We have to have this in our life. We have to read it. We have to get into it and study it. I want to share with you three things. Here comes your outline now. Three things that the psalmist goes on to say in verses 93 through 96 that helps keep that perspective in the midst of affliction. We'll go through these quite quickly. Uh, verse 93, he says, I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. I will never forget your precepts. Precepts, another synonym for the word of God. He says, I will never forget your word. So that's the first way to keep perspective, is fix God's word in your mind and heart. Fix God's word in your mind. And we've been talking about that a lot. Fix God's word in your mind and your heart. The idea of fixing, when we think of fixing something, we think of repairing it, right? We, we repair it. That's not what it means here. That's not what it means. Uh, we don't need to repair God's word. God's word is good, right? We don't need to repair it. Everybody knows that. We don't repair God's word. It means to, to uh, place, to place. The idea of placing things, uh, to remember things, is not strange to us, right? We do that all the time, to place things, we might place a photo in our house of, of something, and we place it in, in our house, or we might place it uh, uh, at a cubicle at work, we might place it in our phone. Many times it's photos. We look at that to, to fix our eyes up on that, to remember, to remember special events, to remember a family vacation, maybe a wedding, or, or, or where we were together as a family for Christmas, whatever it be. Remember those things. We look up on them, we get a proper perspective, right? We look at it, remember. Remember the blessings that came in our life. Remember the, the people that God has surrounded us with. All the blessings that we have. It gives us that perspective. Remember those things when we look at those pictures. So my question is, so where are we fixing God's word? Where are you fixing it in your life? Are, are, are you fixing it? Probably most of us maybe have a picture 
with God's word in a picture somewhere. I got a couple in my office, and I got we have some at home too. We have there is a, a verse that we have in a picture. Maybe you have it uh, on a cubicle at work or your office or at work or whatever you have it on, you have it there. Maybe you have it in your phone. Many times we have it on our smart, smartphone. We have the Word of God there. And those are great places to keep it. But why not do what the psalmist told us to do earlier in the psalm, one of our memory verses, Psalm 119, verse 11, where he starts off in verse 9, how does a young man keep his way pure? And then he goes on and he says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Remember that verse? You memorize that verse? He said, let's fix our God's word and our hearts and our minds is what we need to do. We need to get it there from this Bible, this book, this right here, from that picture, from that gadget you have, that smartphone. We need to get it in our hearts. It doesn't do us any good to be here, but it's not here. We need to get it here. Let it lead it and guide us. Let it be more than just a piece of decor in our house, like a picture on a wall or just this Bible. Sometimes it's just a decoration in our house, which there it is on the coffee table. It looks good there, right? Or it's there on my nightstand. It doesn't do us any good to be just decor there, but let us get it stored up in our hearts is what the Bible, what he's saying, the psalmist is saying. Fixing God's word in our minds and our hearts is, brings delight because it keeps perspective, helps us keep that perspective that you and I need. The psalmist continues on here, and he says in verse 94 95, Save me, for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. The wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will ponder your statutes. The second way to keep perspective, seek God's word for deliverance. Seek God's word for deliverance. The psalmist is again reminding us that he's in the midst of trouble. We see that here. He's in the midst of trouble. And in the midst of trouble, he does not just look as accusers and their threats. He's not just not looking and focusing on them. He doesn't play the blame game and throw in a pity party. Pity party. He's not doing that. He, many times we throw problem parties and we want to say, here's my problem, here's my problem, here's my problem. And we want to focus on our problems, right? We want to focus all on a problem. He doesn't do that. That's not what he's doing here. He instead keeps a right perspective. And he's saying here, he's admitting, I know there's chaos and there's trouble that surrounds me. I've got all kinds of problems around me. I mean, you're saying he doesn't have problems. He says, I can list them. He goes, i got all kinds of problems around me. But he says, I have hope. Because I remember your word, oh God, I remember your word. In verse 95, it says, I ponder your statutes. I ponder your word. And what he's saying, I have heard what you have done. I have read what you have done, God. And all your promises, it brings me to a place of delight, for I know that you will deliver. Why? Because you have done it before. I've read it here in these scriptures, and I know what you've done. And I know if you've done it, then you can do it now in my life. And it brings me great delight to understand it. That's what he's sharing. I know what you've done. I pondered the scriptures. I understand who you are and what you can do. So I have delight no matter what is around me. No matter what it is, I can have delight. I can have joy. In the midst of those problems that we have, we cannot focus on, on the pressure and the problems and all those kind of things, but on the one who can truly deliver us from them. We must seek God's word during those times and God through those times. That's what we have to do, fixing our eyes upon him during our problems, during our difficulties, during our afflictions or whatever they may be. Not on our problems, not on all the pressures, but upon God and his word is what he tells us. That keeps perspective. That keeps delight because we're reminded of who God is and what God has done and what God can do in my life. We have all the promises that are in this Bible that God gives us, right? He goes on in verse 96. To all perfection I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. 
The third way to keep perspective is enjoy God's word as true freedom. Enjoy God's word as true freedom. The psalmist is smart. He gets it. He's looking around at the heavens and the earth, and he sees all things will eventually come to an end. And they do, right? All things eventually come to an end. You look at your life, and my age now, I look, man, I can't run as fast as I used to run. I can't. I can't lift. I can't. I don't have the endurance that I once had, and it goes away. And, and, I, and I'm going to bring up sports. You look at sports in the same way. I mean, you really see it in sports. Those guys that play, we just had Tom Brady just retired here, right, for the second time. But I think this time he's going to retire. But even this year, he didn't play like he did it in his earlier years. He's been diminished. And the New England Patriots, for a long time there, they reigned in the NFL, and they were winners of the Super Bowl time and time again. In the 80s, it was the San Francisco 49ers. And then, and then except 85, who won 85? The Bears. The Bears won that. You're right. Just checking to see if you're listening. But then we had, in the 90s, in basketball, who won? The Chicago Bulls reigned. Seemed like they just kept winning and winning, and they weren't going to lose. And then eventually it comes to an end. People get older, and they can't play the sports as they once did. As we find out, too, as you get older, I hear sometimes, you know, my age, 25 and 30-year-olds, man, I'm hurting, I'm struggling. I says, at your age, wait till you get a little older and you see that. But we can't do the things we used to do. And the psalmist saying, he says, he says, I understand this. Eventually, everything comes to an end. But he goes, the psalmist says, but your commands are different. They're boundless. He says, what are you saying? Everything else comes to an end, but your word has no limit. It does not come to an end is what he's saying. He doesn't see it as being restrictive. He sees God's word as being true freedom. It gives me freedom. It's not restricted by anything. It's freedom. If we're going to keep that perspective, even in the most difficult times, we must seek God's word as true freedom. We must see it as that way. It's true freedom. If we're going to delight in the word of God, we must learn to enjoy it as true freedom in our life. Because in doing so, will give us a proper perspective that will bring about the stable life that we all want. Stability. We're not going to find stability because everything is perfect in my life. How many of you have a perfect life? Everything's perfect. None of us. You're never going to find it. If you're looking for that to say, I, I've got great perspective because now everything is perfect in my life, you're never going to find it. You're never going to find it. But if we have a perspective on eternal things, not on the temporary things, what surrounds me, but in eternal things, things that we cannot see, God and his word and all those kind of things, we get into this. When I have my perspective, then I can find delight and joy, no matter what comes in my life. No matter what may become in my life, I find joy and delight because of God's word. My prayer that each of, we, each of you would come to know the eternal word of God, where it says in John 1:14 that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Huge verse. What it's telling us that Jesus came with authority as the Son of God, as God, as God, fully God and fully man, that the Christian miracle is that the Word of God, which endures forever, the Bible says, endures, stands firm in the heavens forever, became man, the God-man, and dwelt among us. Think about that. The eternal Word of God, the Bible says, became man, and we know him as Jesus. Jesus is the stable, eternal Word of God. And he came and he died on the cross for our sins to give you and I freedom. To give you and I security in our own life so we can be eternally secure. And if you don't know that true freedom that comes through Jesus, I would encourage you today to put your faith and trust in Jesus. For he's the one that gives us uh, freedom and security. All of us are sinners. And because of our sin, we're in bondage. We're in bondage to our sin. We're in bondage to our flesh. And it was Jesus who came from heaven 
went to the cross and died on the cross for our sins so that you and I can be free from that bondage of sin. He came to break the chains of that bondage of sin. And now we have forgiveness of sins through Jesus. And if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus today, I would urge you to accept him as your Savior. The Bible says in John 10, 10, it says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. In Jesus, you have life. And you have it to the fullest, right? You have life to the fullest. Abundant life is what he says. It's not a life where, you can, where everything goes your way. How many know that? Everything doesn't go your way. It's not a life where you can do whatever you want to do. It's not that kind of life. But it's a life that is filled with joy that cannot be taken. A life that's filled with a love that cannot be shaken. You have come to know the hope that anchors the soul. You have come to, when you came to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you receive forgiveness of sins, amen? Receive eternal life, life everlasting is what the Bible says. You receive a, a, a relationship with God the Father. You receive the eternity, a home with Jesus forever. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. That's great, isn't it? Amen for all that. And, and if today you're in the midst of seem like instability in your life, you can know that there's a Savior there that wants to help you. He wants to help you. And if you're going through a time of instability, if you're going through a time that you're having difficulties and stuff, please find comfort in the everlasting word of God, whose faithfulness the Bible goes from, from generation to generation, the Bible tells us, that you would come to a place of delight despite your afflictions because you have fixed your eyes upon Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's who it is. When we get to the word of God, we're really pointing not only to this word, but it becomes the eternal word, that this word became flesh. It's Jesus. He's the one that makes all this happen, right? The eternal word of God. We're fixing our eyes upon him and keeping that perspective is on Jesus. And he'll get us through anything, right? He'll get us through anything. And my prayer for all of us, that we find ourselves embracing the truth and these three truths that I gave today daily, fix God's word in your hearts and your minds, seeking the deliverance that God's word truly brings in our lives, and enjoy the true freedom that God's word brings. It gives us freedom, guys. It's not restrictive. God says, these are all the things you can do. This is how you can live for me. That's true freedom. And shining that, that, that we would so love Christ so much that others may see him more clearly on us. Shining a light of hope to a world that is hurting. Let them understand that there's a healing to be found in the arms of a Savior. That Jesus Christ is here for all of us, right? We just have to come to him. So whatever you need this morning, wherever you're at, you say, boy, I need forgiveness of sins. It's found in Jesus. Amen? You say, boy, I need stability in my life. It's found in Jesus. I need to have a right perspective. It's found in Jesus. Come to him this morning. I need answers of my questions. Where's those answers found? It's found in Jesus. He's there for you. He said, I just need to have peace. That peace is true peace is found in Jesus. So wherever you're at, wherever we're at, every one of us, let's come to Jesus this morning. Let's come to him. Let's surrender, him, surrender to him our hearts and minds and realize who he is. He's the eternal word of God that's come to say, fix your eyes upon me. Get the right perspective that no matter what's in your life, Jesus can handle it, right? And how do I know that he wants to handle it? How do you know that? Because he came to demonstrate his love by stretching out his arms and he gave his life for you. He's never going to give up on you. If he's willing to die for you, he's willing to do anything for you, right? He's going to pursue you to the end. He's never going to give up to you. Never going to give up on you. So we can be confident of that. No matter what I've done, no matter how many times I've sinned, Jesus is there to forgive me of every one of those sins. 
no matter how many times it is, because he loves us, and he died on the cross for all of them. Amen? So we serve a wonderful Savior, the eternal Word of God. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we come. We praise you. Lord, there is no one, absolutely no one like you. You are second to none. So Lord, we come this morning, we surrender our hearts to you. Knowing, Lord, that we have baggage that we all carry. We have it all. We have, uh, sometimes our perspective's not right. Sometimes we're not, we're unstable in some of the things that we're doing in our decisions. Sometimes, Lord, we need help in making decisions. Sometimes, Lord, we don't have peace. And sometimes, Lord, we just have our minds and hearts fixed on our problems, fixed on the pressure, fixed on our work, fixed on too many other things. Help us, Lord, get our hearts and minds fixed on you. Help us, Lord, to get this word, this eternal word of God into our hearts. That, Lord, it's there. And, Lord, we live by it. Allow it to guide us and lead us in our lives. To realize, Lord, it's powerful and it's effective. And it helps us to guide us and to lead us, Lord. It's that lamp that lights up our paths. It helps us every step of the way that you promise to guide us. So, Lord, if we don't get in your word, we don't keep our pro proper perspective, Lord, we lose sight of you. We lose sight of your word and we get it on our problems. We get it on focus on things of the world, on our culture on the politics and all those other things, Lord, and we go astray from you. And Lord, through that, we get anxious, we get frustrated, we get worried, we start worrying, and all those kind of things happen in our lives. But Lord, you came to give us peace and stability in our lives. Doesn't mean, Lord, that we won't have those times where we're going to get anxious. Doesn't mean, Lord, sometimes we won't uh, be worrying about things and look at our problems. But Lord, that we more and more help us to keep you as our perspective to keep our eyes fixed upon you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would convict us of any sin that stands before us where our perspective is wrong, where we have sin in our life, where, Lord, we're relying on other things to bring us peace, relying on other things beside of you, Lord, to put them before you. Lord, we ask that this morning you convict every one of us right now by the power of the Holy Spirit in any of those things that we might confess it to you. And, Lord, we together this morning could be united that Jesus the one who sits on the throne, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we fix our eyes upon him. And through that, Lord, you give us the ability to get into your word, to set our hearts on fire with the word that, Lord, we want it. We've got to have it. And every morning we would seek it and get it in our hearts and our minds. So we'd be guided by you and directed by you. Lord, I pray that for each person. I pray that each person that today would be again a new time in our lives, we would just draw closer to you and be on fire for Jesus, that we'd want to live for you. Lord, I pray that for each person here, your blessing would be upon us. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And Lord, we ask all these things in that wonderful, amazing name, the name of the one who died on the cross for our sins, in Jesus' name.